0: And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, here's your host, Patricia
1: Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. Today, we are going to talk about stress, and my guest is Dr. Arthur C.R. Dr. Arthur, tell me, please tell me how to pronounce your name.
2: Ciara McCauley. It's a long one, Patricia.
1: All right, so Dr. Arthur C.R. McCauley, and we're, he is a Ph.D. licensed clinical psychologist, and he's the chief medical officer of Sound Minds organization, and it's a popular mental health platform. He's been on the faculty of Harvard Medical School and chief psychologist for Metro West Medical Center, and I want to give you some statistics about stress. The Harris Interactive Survey conducted in 2012 indicates high stress levels among Americans while 53% saying they have little or no support for stress management from their health care provider. Two-thirds of office visits to primary care doctors are stress-related. Stress hormones like cortisol have been linked to inflammation, which contributes to long-term physical health problems like cancer. Physical repercussions of stress can include a decrease in immune system functionality and a heightened risk of heart disease, diabetes, weight gain, poor concentration, hair loss, anxiety and depression, and a host of other ailments. And in the brand new book, The Stress Solution, using empathy and cognitive behavior therapy to reduce anxiety and develop resilience, Dr. Arthur C.R. Caroli, and we'll say it again correctly in a minute, uh, is here to really share with you his research and how he works with patients. Welcome, Arthur.
2: Thank you very much, Patricia. How are you?
1: Good. I see it pronounced here. C.R. Micoli.
2: C.R.A. Micoli.
1: Got it. Okay. Now, tell us um, about this study. What is it particularly? um, It's a study that has been going on for a while. And talk about what empathetic CBT is.
2: Well, I've developed this method, Patricia, over 35 years, combining the power of empathy, brain science, and cognitive behavioral therapy to create a self-help tool that really will reduce stress and allow people to live more balanced lives. Empathy calms the emotional brain so we can perceive accurately and thoughtfully. And being able to perceive accurately is crucial to reducing stress as all biased thinking based on early conditioning distorts reality and causes unnecessary tension. And we know when people are being empathic, if you're giving and receiving empathy, you actually make a brain change. You produce natural chemicals that create calm, focused energy to do the best you can in life. Finally, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, corrects distorted thinking. And the Mm. three components produce a synergy that enhances our lives, reduces stress, and, and allows people to reach their potential, the, the cognitive behavioral piece really focuses on the kinds of biased ways that we learn early on, like generalizing, black and white thinking, catastrophizing, mind reading, magnifying, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. forth, that doesn't allow us to see accurately and perceive ourselves and other people accurately.
1: So explain the process. So if, I, if someone comes to you and you are helping them with CBT, what might that look like, you know, in terms of what their issue is? What might be some of the techniques you would use with them?
2: Well, it, it, it always starts with empathy because empathy uh, really is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another person. And I often refer to empathic listening as holy listening, that the process starts with how we listen, and I focus a good deal on listening from an empathic perspective. Uh, and empathy is quite different than sympathy in that regard. You know, sympathy rushes into console based on identifying with another person, like uh, my experience is similar to your experience, where empathy slows down a process to really understand the unique experiences of another person, to look mm-hmm. beyond the surface to see into their hearts and souls of really what they're wrestling, with they're experiencing, and that's where it starts. Because without an empathic connection, People don't feel comfortable enough to open up, to be vulnerable, to really uh, talk more about what's troubling them.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important. You know, it's something I, I wanted to bring up here without really talking about sides. But when we look at what just happened, you know, with our new administration and mm-hmm. our country is so polarized. I mean, I, and I talk to people all the time and mm-hmm. there are people that are so adamantly pro the new administration and very excited about it. And then there mm-hmm. are those people for just as many good reasons that are adamantly against it and fearful. Mm-hmm. And what's been helping me kind of is, you know, as, as a leader, as an interviewer, is trying to wrap my head around both sides and really understanding. Because it, it's a hard one when you have your own feelings. You yeah. know, to really be able to say wow, the other side, I mean, I don't see it that way, but I've got to understand why they see it. And it does help me. It also helps me reduce my own apprehensions about it because mm-hmm. I'm looking at the other side. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think well, that ties well, into it, what I, you're I saying. I think it
2: does make sense because, you know, the the stress rates in our country, as you cited a few minutes ago, are very high. Mm-hmm. And they've really been accentuating in the last five years in particular, but, but since the presidential election, they've even increased more. You know, our political climate with candidates' emphasis on aggression, insults, lying, lack of integrity, it's symbolic of the the de-emphasis of the importance to my way of thinking of character and Mm -hmm. empathy that's currently dominated not only elected, elected officials, but the corporate world, and has had a tremendous influence on society. So people have asked me a lot, you know, because, you know, how do you cope with people coming in and talking about the election? Well, I bet they do too. You know, and almost every person I've seen in the last two and a half weeks has has mentioned something about the election and how it's affected them. But again, getting back to empathy, I like to slow down the process to understand the facts. Empathy is very fact oriented. It looks for the objective truth. So when somebody comes in and tells me, oh, there was this thing on the Internet about Hillary and it said 72% of people, or there was this thing on the Internet about Trump that said this, I I slow it down and I try to ask, where did you learn that? How did you learn that? Where are the Mm -hmm. facts? What site is Mm -hmm. that on? Is it a credible site? Did -hmm. your cousin Louise tell you from New Jersey that she heard this or that on a talk radio station? And, you know, because I get a lot of that information which you know because people oftentimes are very impressionable, is not really factual. Yeah. So I try to slow it down, and that's what empathy does. It slows us down so that we can understand the perspective of another person, and we can possibly reach a compromise through that understanding, not not just yelling at each other or arguing at each other or being defensive, which is what I see quite often. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I mean, I think that's important. And, and I, I like bringing up that example because I think it's one that, Everybody uh, can certainly, you know, really understand. You know mm-hmm. I mean, it's something that's affecting all of us. And um, as you said, the fear doesn't help us, and the stress doesn't help us because we don't know. And I think, I think the other thing I'd like to talk to you about, Arthur, is that I think in our society right now, in general, things are so tenuous. You know, people don't work thirty years for a company anymore. People don't Mm -hmm. stay in relationships for 35 years anymore. I mean, they do, but it's not the norm the way it used to be. And things can change on a dime. And, you know, so I think for so many of us, we live in, oh, what's going to happen tomorrow? You know, what's, so I'd like you to address that because I think that it's just underlying in our whole society right now, more than I've ever seen in my life.
2: Well, I've I've been saying, you know, I've been writing about this since 2000, actually, Patricia, because I've seen the difference in the society over time. You know, empathy has decreased. Narcissism has increased. Prejudice has increased. And stress has increased. And the emphasis on integrity and character, it's been de-emphasized in place of materialism and appearance. You know, we're a very appearance-oriented, achievement-oriented society. and And we've sort of lost our way in that regard you know, we work too much, we sleep too little, we love with half a heart, and then we wonder why we're unhappy and unhealthy. Because people are driving so fast and moving so fast, their ability to listen, to be present, to actually digest what another person is trying to communicate has become rare. And there is this, you know, this term secondhand stress, which is becoming more popular because our nervous systems talk to each other. And when you're talking to someone who's so stressed, who's moving so fast, talking so fast, and you Mm -hmm. can see... They they While they're listening, they're, they can't wait to speak in return and mm-hmm. retort what you're saying. It, it makes for very unpleasant, stressful interaction. Yeah. When we slow down, when we produce oxytocin by giving and receiving empathy, it creates a bond. It creates trust yeah. in others. It decreases fear, and it creates a security and allows us to be vulnerable and, I think, open for love rather than conflict.
1: I, I, want, I agree with you, and I, I want to say something that has affects me, that, and I know I'm not alone. And that is, you know, many of us, one of the things that I think has become really, um, what's the word I want to use, accepted in our culture um, in terms of the aholics, you know, like alcoholic, no, you know. Um, but workaholism, I think, has become very accepted and yeah. i know that in my own life when you know when you know when i've had a, a close death in the family when my folks died you know i really worked even harder than ever and mm-hmm. so what i've been learning over the last few years is not you know to have some breathing space now the problem mm-hmm. with that that i've discovered is that when i have too much space it it feels like a hole and i'd mm-hmm. love you to address that because i think that's something i am learning now to say, oh, there's an extra three hours here. Gee, maybe I—I I never even allowed for that, Arthur, mm-hmm. and that's not healthy. But the other problem is that you get so addicted to that activity yep. that yep. when it doesn't happen, it's almost like, oh my God, the world—the world is ending, and it—it it yep. is. It's yep. like a dramatic. So I'd love you to address that because I don't think I'm the only person. It
2: feels this no, way. no, I don't think you're the only one for sure. I mean, I, I coined a term a few years ago called performance addiction, and I have a chapter in the yes. book on performance addiction, which I believe is the, the belief that perfecting appearance and achieving status will secure love and respect. And it yes. is an irrational belief system, but it's learned from early family experiences, Very and it's reinforced. So by our material or parents-driven society. Yeah. And yeah. so a lot of people, their resumes read well, but they don't know how to be present. They, don't, they yeah. feel uncomfortable when they're yeah. slowing down. And in terms of your yeah. question, you know, what happens when we slow down? All the things that we're putting, we're repressing and suppressing, the things we're putting out of our minds because we don't want to deal with them or think about them, they come to the forefront. Yes. It's just like dreaming. You can't but stop then yourself what do you do? from dreaming. Well, well what then, you what you do? Hopefully, if you're not afraid and and you want to run and, and you run away, you sit with it a while and try to figure out. Well, if these things are bothering me, maybe I should talk to a friend about it. I talk to my spouse mm-hmm. about it. You mm-hmm. know, you, we can't work these things out alone. They have to be worked out in relationships. And 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 when we, we slow down, and I see it, you know, in my groups, I have communication and leadership groups that have been going on for over 25 years here in Massachusetts, and people consistently say it's the calmest they feel all week. They don't come in feeling that way. But because the whole group is focused on empathic listening and we slow down and I try to help people really understand each other, it creates a sense of calmness. It actually changes the brain. And I think, yep, when you're not accustomed to that, it's very uncomfortable because we all play to our strengths, just like you said. And, and I'm sorry to hear that your, your parents have passed. Mine have, too. And I know that's very difficult. And I did the same thing you did. I actually increased my hours and I started writing a book.
1: Yeah. You know, because
2: yep. what was... Yep. You know, For a year. Running, I was For a year. Away from, yeah, and I was right? running away from myself and the grief and the sadness. Yep. And at some point, realizing that, you know, it's okay. You need to slow down and experience it. But not, a, but not alone. Experience it with other people. And when you experience with other people and you share the burden and they share their burdens with you, we make a connection. We change our brain chemistry, which I think is so very important. You know, cortisol, the stress hormone, makes us afraid and insecure. And oxytocin, the the connecting love hormone, makes us feel connected, secure, and able to connect. So, um, you know, as I said, I call it the soul's pharmacy. We can change our brain chemistry just by the way we learn to relate. And, and we this do is all part of the new down.
1: neuroscience, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, neuroscience mm-hmm. is talking all about this, and neuroplasticity. I mean, this is yeah. all, right, yeah. about neuroplasticity yeah. and slowing the brain down. This is wonderful. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are talking to Dr. Arthur C.R. I. McCauley, and his book is The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resistance. Dr. Arthur C.R. Mayankoli is a licensed psychologist and chief medical officer of SoundMinds.org, a popular mental health platform. He's been on the faculty of Harvard Medical School and chief psychologist of Metro West Medical Center. He's the author of several books, including The Power of Empathy and Performance Addiction. And his website is balanceyoursuccess.com. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back.
2: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Are you finding your frequency? on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside, Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel.
2: Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast, all the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: We are talking to Dr. Arthur C.R. McCauley, and his book is The Stress Solution Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience. And Dr. Arthur C.R. McCauley is a licensed clinical psychologist and chief medical officer of SoundMinds.org, a popular mental health platform. He's been on the faculty of Harvard Medical School and Chief Psychologist of Metro West Medical Center. He's the author of several books, including The Power of Empathy and Performance Addiction. And his website is balanceyoursuccess.com. Welcome back, Arthur.
2: Thank you, Patricia.
1: All right, let's talk more. I mean, there's so many things here. Um... You obviously, we have talked about how our stress rates have definitely dramatically risen, mm-hmm. but let's talk about um, getting rid of those old negative stories so that it mm-hmm. can, getting past our past, so, mm-hmm. which can help us reduce our stress.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'd like to describe to people that what, what I think is that for most of us, we, we create a novel a fictitious story about ourselves that we, we write based on what we think is being reflected back to us from the people around us as, as if we're looking at ourselves in a mirror.
1: But if mm-hmm. the mirrors
2: you're looking into are cracked or inaccurate, you get a distorted view of yourself as if you're looking in a circus mirror. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you create an inaccurate story about yourself, and this story sets the stage for an irrational belief system. And I think in order to change that novel to a non-fiction book, we need help from other people. We need to receive feedback from other people that we consider rational, reasonable, and that they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to come to understand themselves as well. You know, good friends give us what we need to hear, tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. So we write that novel early in life based on the feedback we get. But again, no one goes up in a completely objective world. We've all inherited distorted thinking from our parents or our teachers, um, our, our coaches, and, and we've, we've grown up with biased thoughts about ourselves as well. And I think our responsibility as adults is to try to find out the truth about ourselves. And again, empathy is very truth oriented. When we're not defensive, when we can actually take in feedback, examine it, and see, you know, whether it's accurate or not, and have ongoing conversations with people, the people you live with, most importantly, we learn about ourselves. And, you know, as you know, so many so many people grow up thinking they're not attractive, they're not intelligent, they're not athletic. All their worth is what they achieve or all their worth is, is bound up in terms of how they look. And, of course, much of it is mythical. But we have to unlearn those things so we can feel calmer with ourselves, come to know who we truly are.
1: Yeah, and I think I think too, and I wanted to ask you about performance addiction because not that many people have written about it. I think it's so accepted in our culture that people don't think it's an addiction. But yeah. I do think I do think, you know, it's a problem because, you know, when you have that and, and I've had that and probably still do to a certain extent, but when you're not you know, when I'm not performing or I'm not doing something that I should be doing, there's this uh oh, uh oh. And and, and and that's stressful. Because then yeah. you're never quite at peace. You're yeah. always like, like the motor's always running. Yeah. And um, that's a hard one. So I'd, I'd like you to talk about that.
2: Well, performance addiction, you know, you know, it's interesting because I have some patients who years ago, one of my clients said, you know, I, I bought the book for myself and my three brothers. Unfortunately, we've had it for six months. We haven't had time to read it. Um, because that's what performance addictions do. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. over the holidays, he bought four copies, but, but none of them had time to read it. And, you know, my first recognition of performance addiction came about largely as a work with my work with a group of individuals who, who seem to have so many of the qualities that are highly regarded in professional and public life. I mean, their resume, resumes are impressive, but I noticed that despite their capabilities, they seem to have little regard for their personal achievements or their physical appearance. They all seem to be what I call scoreboard watchers. You know, every day they take inventory of how well or how terribly they're performing or how attractive or dreadful they look in the mirror. And unfortunately, they do the same thing to the people they live with. They're always comparing and contrasting their kids to other kids or their spouses to other spouses. Mm -hmm. And they're never quite happy with what is because it's always Mm -hmm. about chasing the rabbit. And, -hmm. you know, you see, I'm sure you see as people get into their 50s and 60s and they catch the rabbit and then they're depressed. Because it doesn't turn out to be what they want it to be. The, all the dreams they had about becoming a vice president or having a bigger house or having more money or perfecting what they look like. And then they get to those places or they get close and then they get depressed because it didn't provide them what they've always been longing for, which is the love of other people. You know, you, we were talking, you and I, off, you know, off air about when you grow up, And you only hear that what's really valuable is your performance and how you look. You don't think you're lovable for who you are. And there has to be a time where you believe that you're lovable for who you are, not just what you do. And we're in a society where so many people believe love and respect is dependent on today's performance. And you're only as good as the, as your last performance.
1: Well, that's very true. And when you find that out, then you really, you really, really, really realize, you know, because then you perform well, but then it's over, right? It's over. Yes, it's and what do you do in between time? So no, I think I think that's very true. Um, and I think it's something that we need well, a- again, Arthur. It's so prevalent in our culture that it's something that we really need to work on. In order to be happy. I think the other question is, what about when you compare? Well, Johnny over here has this. I would have had it if. You know, at my age, I should have that because I used to have it, and Mary has it over here.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'll give you a great example, Patricia. The other day in one of my groups, one of the women who's very bright and very talented, and she said she was feeling very down. And one of the other, the fellow asked her, one of the fellows asked her, how come? She said, you know, my brother was on NPR, Last week and four weeks ago, my sister was on NPR, and he said, mm-hmm. "Well, what's like, well, what's making you feel down?" He goes, "Well, what am I?" They both have PhDs, and so mm-hmm. I said to her, "How old is your older brother?" And she said, "52." I said, "Is he married?" No. I said, "Does he have any children?" No. I said, "How old is your sister?" Well, she's 48. I said, "Is she married?" No. "Does she have any mm-hmm. children?" No. Mm-hmm. I said, "You have two lovely daughters that you're raising." And you love being a mother, and, and of course you're not going to get on NPR for being a mother and having two children, mm-hmm. um, but you've completely mm-hmm. discounted that.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know,
2: people in the group started talking about how they discount those mm-hmm. kind of things, because mm-hmm. you don't get, there's no fame for it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, nobody's mm-hmm. clapping when you walk down, when you yeah. walk down to the bus with your little child. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's something that you get pleasure from in an inward sense. So... Mm-hmm. She was looking at the performance of her sibling and feeling less than, when in fact, when you look at the totality of her life, she has more than. Yeah.
1: And and um, we have just about three minutes, I think. Yeah, three minutes so but I'm gonna share something on air quickly. I had an experience where I had lost a major client. I did that thing of putting all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> it was a major sponsor. And when I lost that, Arthur, and I mean it, it was a dramatic financial impact, I thought, first of all, I, I, I thought I was gonna die because to me this was what I believed in. So I, I had some help in counseling with this and Someone said to me, it was very astute, he looked at me and said, because this is my passion and my mission, this work that I do, I mean, this is a calling, and I've made it into a business, but it's a calling, and he looked at me and said, you know, I don't hear you talking at all about the service you're doing. All I hear about is the numbers, but you are not even mentioning what you've achieved and how many people you've helped, yeah. and I thought, he's right. He's yeah. right. I didn't see it, because yeah. I, mean, I wasn't, and I wasn't, and I was discounting it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an issue. I think it's, that's kind of like what you're talking about.
2: Yes, yes. I, I have a client who's a noted musician, and he checks his ratings of his CDs on yeah. Amazon almost every yeah. hour. And depending yeah. on the number, if the number's up, he's feeling great. If the number's down, he's not feeling good. I mean, it's like watching yeah. the stock market every 30 minutes. Yeah. You drive yourself yeah. crazy. Yeah, but yeah. he's looking to that number to tell him how valuable he is, missing the fact that his music is very enjoyable by exactly. thousands of
1: people. Exactly, exactly. I know, and I hear that so much from listeners, which is great. All right, what would you like to leave our listeners with, Arthur? And again, the book is The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience.
2: Well, i us let, like to leave them with the idea that the trusting foundation that empathy creates changes your brain chemistry. It calms our soul and puts us in a position to listen. And then we can open up and take in what we need to hear in order to rewrite our story and correct distorted thinking. And only then can we become and can you become who you're destined to be.
1: Thank you. And the website is balanceyoursuccess.com. Thank you so much. Uh, again, Dr. Arthur C.R. Micoli. I think I said it right this time.
2: You
1: did. <laughs> All right, author of The Stress Solution. Thanks again for being on the program. Stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, coming up next is our second interview right here on voiceamerica.com. I'm Patricia Raskin for The Patricia Raskin Show. Be right back.